Uh, so but before we do that, I'm going to pray and ask God for God's help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, please help us now as we come to your word. Uh, Lord, as we give ourselves to thinking about the reality of sexual temptation, sexual sin, uh, help us to heed your wisdom in Proverbs. Help us to love it and to live by it. And most of all, help us to love the Lord Jesus so that we can glorify you with our bodies. Uh, help me to preach this word so that I, and help me to do it faithfully and thoughtfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Drama hits us in ways that uh, words, facts, sometimes just can't. Nowhere is this truer than uh, those uh, TAC ads that you've seen on TV for decades now. Uh, Since 1989, the TAC has been using drama in short TV commercials to make us feel the devastating effects of irresponsible driving. For years now, the highly emotional, highly graphic content of these ads have kind of gripped our attention. Uh, Some of the images are actually still burned in my mind from being a kid watching TV with my parents and seeing bodies strewn across uh, the road in some of these ads. But what made these ads so effective wasn't just the content, but the idea that the, the characters in them were regular people. Regular people like you and me simply making bad decisions and suffering huge consequences. You could almost see yourself making that dumb decision to send a text message while driving, or speed if you're running a little bit late, or have one more drink. These clips were designed to make you sit up and say, if I don't learn from that guy behind the wheel, I could be that guy behind the wheel. I could be the one who accidentally kills the passenger in my car or writes my car off or becomes a paraplegic. And you see, a similar message comes from the moral car crash of Proverbs chapter 7. In chapters 5 and 6 of Proverbs, the author has been giving many instructions about how the wise will avoid heading down the dangerous path of sexual immorality and temptation. Now, As if to kind of pack that message with some punch, he grips our senses as well as our minds with this kind of vivid and confronting drama of an average guy who through just lack of wisdom engages in devastating sexual sin. And as we listen to this drama unfold, the whole time I think we need to be saying, if I don't learn from this guy, I could become this guy. And I think that's the big goal of this talk, to figure out what we can learn from this guy in Proverbs 7 so that we don't end up coming to grief like him. But before I jump into this story, I want to address two misconceptions about the topic of sexual temptation, sexual sin. The first is the idea that somehow God is just against sex generally. And that's what some of you might be thinking as you've come tonight. Here we go. Another talk about how bad sex is. Um, But God is not actually against sex. In fact, God is the one who created it. We thought about that back in our 1 Corinthians 7 little short series there. In fact, a whole book of the Bible, Song of Songs, is kind of dedicated to singing the praises of sexual intimacy in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. It's because God values his gift of sex so highly that he cares when people actually misuse it or abuse it. Sexual sin displeases God and so often 
actually devastates and destroys aspects of our lives. And because God loves us, he actually warns us with this story. But the second misconception is that the topic of sexual temptation is just a male issue. God's wisdom about sexual temptation is actually for both men and women. While it's true that Proverbs 7 is written as kind of a a father's loving warning to a son, we see that in verse 1, the principles that kind of flow out of this chapter are applicable to all of us. For all people, men and women can experience the seductive power of sexual temptation that this guy walks through in Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, in a Gospel Coalition article entitled Women Use Porn 2, Rebecca Hanna makes the point that when the topic of sexual temptation is only cast as a male issue, it can unintentionally leave some women in the dark with their sin. But in the Bible, God doesn't cast this issue simply as a male issue, but as a human issue. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul has just been speaking about the issue of sexual immorality and then writes this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Sexual temptation is common to mankind. Therefore, we all need to pay attention to the help God gives us in his word, including in Proverbs 7. So what we're going to do is go through this chapter step by step. We're going to look at the prologue to the the drama, then the three scenes of the drama, then the epilogue. And then we're going to consider as followers of Jesus what we can learn from this guy so that we don't become like this guy. So let's jump into this story, into Proverbs 7, the prologue, which you can see in your Bibles in in verses 1 to 5. In the prologue, this drama calls us to cling to wisdom as though our lives depended on it. And see, that's the opening message to this tragedy. The prologue is saying if we are going to avoid the devastation of sexual temptation, sexual sin, we need to embrace wisdom. We particularly need to embrace the wisdom of chapters 5 and 6, which you can go and read at home, that is now actually presented for us in this drama of chapter 7. But you see, unless this wisdom is actually taken to heart, it will actually be useless to you when that moment of temptation comes. We need to cling to it as though our life depended on it. We need to embed this wisdom within us, guard it more sensitively, uh, than guard it like the sensitive structures of our eyes, says uh, the author of this proverb. This wisdom can't just remain to us like some kind of vague acquaintance, like someone we met once at a party somewhere, but like a sister, a close relative. You see that there in verses 1 to 5. My son, obey my words and treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live and guard my instructions as you would the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your relative. She will keep you from a forbidden woman, a wayward woman with her flattering talk. Wisdom keeps us safe against sexual sin. And again, this is as true for women as it is for men. There are plenty of wayward men with flattering tongues in our world. 
And the Apostle Paul, Peter actually warns about such men in 2 Peter chapter 2. Those who have eyes full of adultery, he writes, that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed. We all need wisdom here. I wonder how many of you actually pay attention during the pre-flight safety instructions when you travel on a plane. Uh, For me, it's not as though I don't kind of see them doing their thing in the aisle. It's not that I don't hear what they're saying. It's just that I never really take it in. And I don't really take it in because I, to be honest, don't really think the risk is that likely, rightly or wrongly. And so I just stare at them blankly and kind of covertly put my earphones back in. And sometimes it's even the beginning of a good nap session. But you see, what kind of idiot would I feel like if in an emergency I didn't have the faintest idea of what to do, particularly when I've sat through just countless of these things, right? You see, if you don't think the risk of sexual sin is real, you're not going to take these instructions to heart. If you don't think that your boyfriend or your girlfriend, together you can fall into sin... You're not going to listen to this. If you don't think you could form a romantic connection to a work colleague who's not your spouse, you're not going to listen to this. If you don't think you can be lured into a world of pornography, you're not going to listen to this. The author of Proverbs is shouting at you in this prologue to take your earphones out and listen to what he's about to say. You see, despite what you may think about your capacity to be safe against sexual sin, the risk of it is actually real to each person. Uh, The guy we're going to read about in this chapter is a classic example of someone who didn't take the risk seriously and ignored life-saving wisdom and instruction. And so as we begin this drama proper, we need to keep thinking, if I don't learn from this guy, I might become this guy. Now, this drama can kind of be divided into three scenes, a young man straying, a young man seduced, a young man slain. Let's look at the first scene in your Bibles. In this scene, we see a foolish guy who strays into dangerous territory. Now, this guy is foolish. Uh, He's the sort of guy that had his earphones in during the safety instructions of Proverbs chapters 5 and 6. Think about it. What is this guy doing in this part of town at that time of night, I can, he kind of wanders into temptation where time and place are sure to be against him. This guy is senseless. At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight, in the evening, in the dark of the night... See, the first mistake this guy makes is to stray into dangerous territory and kind of think maybe maybe it'll be all okay. It's kind of like that moment in the TAC ads where they show the guy making that initial kind of dumb decision to have just one more drink before getting into the car with his girlfriend. Well, the guy may not know what he's doing, but the woman he's about to meet sure does. She spots him near her house, and it's like she kind of homes in on him. She knows exactly what she'll say, and what she'll do to snare this guy. You see that in verses 10 to 12. 
a woman came to meet him. Dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda, she is loud and defiant, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. See, the guy's first mistake is to wander into temptation without thinking twice. Now, maybe he thinks he's perhaps one of the few exceptions that can kind of play with fire on the edges and not get burnt, but this guy's not an exception. You and I are not exceptions. This guy's a fool. He lacks wisdom. So what must we say? If I don't learn from this guy, I could be this guy. And so begins scene two. In this scene, we see this foolish guy who strayed into the wrong place, now being seduced into sexual sin. Now, the woman in this story uses, I think, about five specific tactics to make sure that the seduction process of this fool is successful. Uh, Each of these tactics show us, I think, different stages of the sexual temptation process in many different contexts. So I think it's important to think about the way the hook keeps sinking further into this guy. So we see tactic one, the shock treatment. See, before this guy even has a chance to reconsider where he is, what he's doing there, she smacks a kiss on him. You see that in verse 13. She grabs him and kisses him. You can imagine this guy is both stunned and kind of totally consumed at this point with nervous excitement. But then comes tactic two, rationalization. Uh, She finds a way to help this guy reconcile their sexual sin with the idea that they might still be good and maybe even religious people. She speaks of kind of fulfilling her vows by making fellowship offerings at the temple and then I think implicitly suggesting that their time together could even be an act of devotion to God somehow. It's like maybe she's saying, please come and there's food left over in my house. Come on in. Let us celebrate the Lord's goodness together and just see where the night takes us. Verses 13, 14, she brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I've fulfilled my vows. See, it's an insidious lie that God would ever accept that which he says is wrong. But in the moment of sexual temptation, we actually want to believe lies. That's the kind of sad truth. We want to believe that our sexual activity, though kind of Contrary to what God says, is okay because you know we're engaged or we're going to get married eventually anyway. We want to believe that pornography is just a, a part of a healthy human sexual expression that God made us for. Or we want to believe that if I haven't, you know, maybe I've been a bit physical with this woman who's not my wife, but we actually haven't had sex, so it's not technically adultery. You see, it's easy to rationalize sin. But the third tactic is flattery. The woman essentially says to this guy, you're the one that I've been waiting for my whole life. All those other guys, boys, you're the man. You see that in verse 15. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. See, flattery is so effective um, because most of us, men and women, love hearing words of affirmation. Most of us love hearing that we're attractive or brilliant or thoughtful. Most of us love, love have the feeling that someone really values us. 
desires us. But flattery can and has been used by many to manipulate people into kind of unhealthy emotional connections and then eventual sexual sin. So with the shock treatment, the rationalization, the flattery, this guy is becoming hypnotized at this point. But it gets worse with tactic four, titillation. And you can feel at this point that the hook is just sinking so far into this guy. Uh, In verse 16, uh, the woman describes her bedroom like it's basically Pleasure Island. As she speaks, the guy starts to imagine the sight of the kind of raunchy bed sheets from Egypt, the intoxicating smell of a perfumed bed. This guy, I think, is lost in her words as he listens to her speaking of a sexual encounter that goes on until morning. You see that in verses 16 to 18. I've spread, my, I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. Oh, I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking till morning. Let's feast on each other's love. I reckon applying the brakes at this point for this guy has got to be nearly impossible. But maybe, though, there is still a a sliver of hope for this guy. Maybe his fear of getting caught might be enough to make him back off finally from this woman. Well, that hope is dashed too, isn't it? Because the last and perhaps deadliest tactic is deployed in the temptation process. Reassurance. See, the last nail in the coffin comes with a a reassuring promise that no one will ever know. She says to this guy, just relax, all right? It's dark. No one can see you out here. You don't have to worry about my husband. He's headed off. He's loaded up with money. He'll be away for a good couple of weeks. It's just us. Verses 19 and 20. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. Now, maybe you've tried to find reassurance in your sexual temptation. You know, it's okay. No one knows what I get up to in the privacy of my own room late at night. Uh, It's okay, we've got the the house to ourselves. My housemates are away for the weekend. Uh, Maybe there could be a possibility that this woman's husband does never find out. Maybe. But God knows. God sees. That's the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes. And he considers all his paths. But I guess this guy had his earphones in when that was being explained to him. And so the seduction process is basically complete at this point. Through shock treatment, rationalization, flattery, titillation, reassurance, this guy's gone. Verse 21, she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. See, this guy was seduced, but he wasn't an innocent victim of unpreventable circumstances. He didn't have to be there at that time of the night. He didn't have to stick around. But he was, he did, and it all goes so bad. Just like that moment in the TAC ad, right, where you see the car just now out of control, spinning, hurtling towards the eucalyptus tree. Do you you kind of feel the tragedy of this moment, the great sadness? 
You see, it's likely in this context, this culture, that this guy was probably a young married man. Maybe he's even got a kid, toddler, baby perhaps. Maybe he's even looked up to in the community a bit. All of that's there in his life. But when you're foolish enough to enter into that depth of sexual temptation, all that stuff just fades into the background under the intoxicating spell of lust, where your desire for sexual satisfaction in the moment just trumps everything. See, this drama is reminding us of the overwhelming power of sexual temptation. It distracts our minds and then so often devastates our lives, which is what we see in scene three. Uh, In scene three, the guy who had strayed and was then seduced, is now kind of metaphorically slain. Uh, This insatiable desire to commit this act of adultery (coughs) now engulfs him. He's got nothing left in him that will make him reconsider or pause for thought. He's so blind with passion that he just cannot see any path away from her. And so he follows her as though in a trance to certain destruction. See, look at the imagery that's used at this moment in the drama. He follows her impulsively, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding towards a trap until an arrow pierces its liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, he doesn't know it will cost him his life. And see, that is how it is for so many who have walked that experience of sexual sin devastating their lives. You know, so often I think people who have sinned sexually and felt the consequences think, I just did not know it would ruin just everything. And those images, they grip us, don't they? The ox walking unwittingly into the moment where it meets its end. A deer thinking everything is fine until that sudden thump on its side. A bird trapped in a net, totally unaware that it's at neck is about to be snapped. See, this is like the moment in the TAC ad where the passenger is now lying dead on the road while the foolish guy is being wheeled into the ambulance. This guy in Proverbs 7 is not walking into a bedroom. He's walking, in some ways, into his own grave. Now, the mention of death in Proverbs isn't always limited to physical death. Often, as I think is the case here, it's, The term is better understood as a life that experiences all of that which is opposite to a full and blessed life. So in the Proverbs, that's a kind of life marked by financial ruin or relational chaos, fear, misery, and in some cases, death, actual death. But the point is this, where adultery or or sexual sin happens, destruction just so easily follows. And unless there is repentance and faith in God's Saviour, Jesus, who sacrificially died to bring forgiveness of sins, God's judgment actually follows as well. See, what happens when wisdom is absent and sexual temptation is present is destruction, says Proverbs 7. And that is the warning, the epilogue to this drama wants you to hear loud and clear. See, like the prologue, the epilogue, 
calls us to cling to wisdom as though our life depended on it. See, no other defense will withstand the great enemy that is sexual temptation, that is adultery. We need to pay attention to this drama, heed the warning, and live wisely as our defense against temptation. Now, sons, listen to me. Uh, Now, son, listen to me and pay attention. Uh, There it is. Now, sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray to her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. See, having watched this young guy fall, the epilogue invites us to put ourselves in his shoes. To recognize that we will become like him if we don't learn from him. I remember one of our pastors here was asked while he was on a panel in front of our church a number of years ago whether there was a kind of key principle that he lived by that helped him in his kind of long years of ministry. And I'll never forget his answer. He said, I've never doubted my capacity for catastrophic sin. See, what had kept him on track for, in life for, through all those years was, I think, his recognition that he could be like this guy in Proverbs chapter 7. See, if we're going to take this drama to heart, that's what we need to say too. I don't doubt my capacity for catastrophic sin. So what do we do with this part of God's word tonight? Uh, Well, I think we're supposed to receive this story as a loving warning given to us by a heavenly father who wants us to keep trusting him and living his way so that we don't come to grief. So let me just suggest two ways uh, that you can learn from this guy so that you don't become like this guy. Uh, First is to cling to God's wisdom, and second is to actually cultivate right desires which includes your love for the Lord Jesus. And we'll think about that in just a second. But firstly, we actually need to cling to the wisdom that we see in this passage. And there are three pieces of wise advice that we get in Proverbs 7 that I just want to briefly go through. The first is to guard your heart. Uh, uh, Guard your heart and your mind against sexual temptation. You see, temptation always starts kind of in our inner thoughts in many ways. Uh, We can't stop them from coming, but we must not entertain them fantasizing about possible encounters or rationalizing how you might justify some kind of act of sexual sin. See, all of those trains of thought just allow temptation to make its case further and further. See, I'm willing to bet the guy in Proverbs had that woman on his mind long before he made the decision to wander aimlessly down the street. I remember being in a Belgrave Heights men's convention and the speaker in front of all these guys, just in sort of one moment, ask this kind of confronting question. He said, if you were going to commit adultery with someone, who would it be? And after a kind of short pause, he just said, if you've got a name in your head, you've already got a problem. See, temptation will always creep into our minds. And we've actually got to call it out for what it is. And I think, say a quick prayer in that moment, asking God not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. But the second piece of wisdom is to stay away from trouble. See, this guy made the huge mistake of kicking around 
near the house of an adulteress at night time. He put himself in a situation where he was basically easy prey. And we need to learn from this guy and actually stay away from context that would make it easier for us to progress down the road of sexual temptation. See, if you were to create a list of danger zones that you need to avoid, what would they actually be? Maybe it's something like Facebook. You know, do you find yourself kind of scrolling through pictures of a particular person feeding unhealthy thoughts about them? Maybe it's just staying up too late on your phone. Maybe it's the married work colleague that you're finding yourself becoming increasingly emotionally close with. How are you going to either avoid those situations or alter them in such a way to make them safe? You know, perhaps there is a place for some level of internet protection or accountability. Maybe you just pull the trigger and delete Facebook. Maybe you have to have an awkward but necessary conversation with your work colleague about why you just need some space. Sometimes it's actually helpful to enlist the help of an older believer who you can confide in and who can actually encourage you in your struggle. I do see a number of um, guys doing this with older men, but it's actually also something the Bible encourages women to do with older women. Uh, Titus 2, in Titus chapter 2, Paul tells older women to teach what is good to the younger women, to encourage them to be self-controlled. Sexual temptation is a powerful force, and the body of believers actually needs to work together to combat it. The third piece of wisdom is to consider the consequences. That, I think, is a big takeaway from this proverb. Uh, The path towards adultery, the path towards sexual sin generally, is basically described here as a highway to hell. It leaves a trail of destruction that God wants you to avoid. And in one sense, cultivating a, a kind of healthy fear of that is not a bad thing. Jesus, in many ways, teaches us to cultivate healthy fear against God's judgment so that we actually take it seriously and avoid it by trusting him. So you have to think, if I actually give myself over to sexual temptation, I could see my life wrecked, basically. I could see a ministry shattered, reputation lost. I, it could have negative consequences. I could grow numb to it and just slowly drift away from my faith in Jesus. We need to consider the consequences. And for those of you who are younger, teenagers, young adults, I was reading some stats from a few years back that, were, that highlighted the, rate, the increasing rate of sexting. 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image in our culture. 41% have sent them, usually to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Now, this stuff can land you in trouble with the law, and it can just become a permanent source of anxiety for ages to come afterwards. And there is a sense in which it's not unhelpful to think of those consequences. To those of you who are married, when you feel you are getting too close to another person or you're tempted to look at pornography, you need to say to yourself, if I let this person or if I let this pornography win my heart, my marriage could be over or the trust could be so severely damaged. My family could be torn apart. And ultimately, God tells us that if we choose to comfortably 
and unrepentedly live according to our sinful desires, including sexual sin, we will actually not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can't live in comfortable defiance of God and actually think things will be okay. Paul tells the Corinthian believers, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so honour God with your body. Uh, We need to cling to wisdom by guarding our minds, staying away from temptation and thinking upon the consequences. But finally, we need to actually cultivate right desires. We need to replace our love for what God says is wrong and replace it with what our love for what God says is right. You see this at some level when the Proverbs call married people to just love your spouse. In chapters 5 and 6 of Proverbs, the young men are told there to replace their lustful desires for another woman with a renewed desire for their wives. And for those of you who are married, that is one good desire God wants you to be cultivating. Renew your love, your desire for your spouse. Prioritize those date nights. Make time for your husband or your wife without the kids if you have any. Do what it takes to be captivated by his or her love so that your desire for another person just kind of evaporates. I have an older friend who will often ring me up and ask me the question, how are you going loving your wife? Have you booked a date night in the diary? Always ask that question. See, it's actually been good to have someone encourage me, encouraging me in my love of my wife. Uh, but for all of us, single or married, the ultimate right desire God wants us to cultivate in our, in our lives is our relationship with Jesus. Because while, you know, password protections, accountability Uh, partners, they're helpful. They do not in themselves change kind of what your heart loves at a fundamental level. But the truth is, you will love your sin less as you love your Savior more. And Titus 3 reminds us why we should love our Savior more. It speaks of how Jesus loved us and saved us despite us being disobedient, deceived, enslaved to all kinds of passions and pleasures. You know, that's the sort of person we might write off, but not God. But when the kindness of God our Saviour and, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, and not because of righteous works that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs of eternal life. You see, we need to be ready in moments of sexual temptation to say, I don't want to dishonor the one who loved me so much that he died for me. He overcame temptation for my sake and went to the cross. So I'm going to ask for his help to overcome my temptation so that I can demonstrate thankfulness to him. Perhaps you're here and you feel kind of the weight of your sexual sin in your life. Well, you need to know that Jesus is merciful. You know, sometimes we can worry that we've actually gone too far with Jesus. But we need to remember that he actually came to save and forgive people like the guy in Proverbs 7. 
His mercy towards the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 is proof of this. Jesus loves even the sexually immoral person. He loves them and he came to save them. So yes, sexual sin does have ripple effects that may bring difficulty and complexity into your life, but don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus offers forgiveness, which is of real eternal value. And actually, that's much more important than hiding it to save face or to just stay in your ministry. So if you do have unconfessed sexual sin, repent, cling to Jesus as your only source of forgiveness, your only hope for change, and your guarantee of eternal life. Let me just conclude by pointing out the obvious. Uh, Many of you here are young. Uh, Many of you have a lot of living to do yet. That means a lot more temptation is yet to come, many more moments where you'll find and you'll feel that pull away from Jesus and towards sexual sin. Think about what you've heard in Proverbs 7 tonight. Cling to the wisdom of Proverbs 7 and ultimately cultivate your love for Jesus and keep saying to yourself, if I don't learn from that guy in Proverbs 7, I can become that guy. Let's come to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us enough to warn about the real danger of sexual immorality. Please help us to cling to the wisdom you give us in Proverbs 7 and help us to cultivate a desire in our hearts for the Lord Jesus so that in loving him more, we might begin to love our sin less. And we pray these things so you might be glorified in our community here at Bundy. In Jesus' name, amen.